Hello, this is CB Music Club. Chris. Hello. And there is Al. Hiya. And there is Nick. Hello. So, this week, guys, the most important thing is have you missed me? Of course. Yes, we have. Like a hole in the head. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I should even tell the erstwhile listeners, but I had a little bit of brain surgery just over a week ago, but everything's now. I guess. I'd just like to say a big, big, big thank you to the people at the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh who have um, been looking after me and my own personal brain surgeon, Paul Brennan. I doubt if he ever listens to this, but hello and thank you. Well done, Paul. Nice work. Thank God somebody's looking after him. Yep. (laughs) Amazing. And it's great to have you back, Will. We missed you last week. We really did. Thank you. I hope we've all got a little bit of something in our hands to drink. Chris, what are you drinking this week? It's no longer January, so I'm drinking again. Yay! Got a nice <laughs> glass of something red and uh, Argentinian. Cheers. Ooh, cheers. Nice. nice. Nick, what have you got in your hand? I've got some Tiny Rebel Electric Boogaloo. Ooh. It's a passion fruit IPA. Nice. Very tasty too. Very good. Al. At the moment, I'm drinking The Damned Pilsner by um, Hop Nation Brewery. Pilsner's not my favourite, but actually it's quite a nice lager. I put my back out a bit this week, so I'm in a bit of discomfort, so I'm just going to drink myself into a stupor and hope it goes away. Hope you guys enjoy that. How have you managed to put your back out? I was trimming my beard. I was looking a bit too much like an alcoholic Irish poet (laughs) (laughs) for my tastes. Not necessarily a bad look, but... um, it gets a bit itchy as well, so no, I was trimming the beard, not. bending down a little bit to the bathroom mirror, and I stood up, and it just something had gone, and it really, really hurt. I'm a very tall man, for those who don't know that, and it's just one of the hardships of being tall is that you have a bad back. I've been trimming my beard as well this week. I found it strangely addictive. I've kind of, similarly, I'd just grown mine for the last sort of three months of lockdown, mm. and it was just looking bedraggled. So I've just been snipping away with a pair of scissors, and it kind of makes a nice, satisfying oh. sort of crunch sound. But also you can just kind of sculpt it. So I've got quite into male grooming. I think your beard looks pretty good tonight, actually, Chris. Uh, I wish the listeners could see it. Yeah, it doesn't really work on a podcast, does it? But no. It does look good. And obviously Nick. <laughs> uh, Nick, you. as always, has a magnificent beard. Uh, the king of beards. The king of yeah. beards. I got given a beard bib for <laughs> the, the purposes of sculpting. Uh, which is just a big plastic sheet and you tie one end around your neck and the other end has two little rubber suckers and you stick them to the wall so you create this cloth that you can then trim your beard and all the shavings mm. just fall into the bib and you can scoop it up and tie That's it up. That's a very it's good idea. Amazing. Seems quite elaborate, but it does make a hell of a mess taking the trim. And actually, it's, yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes it really longer does. to clean up than it does to actually get rid of the beard, which is just a bit annoying, really. Mm. Yeah. Most of mine's in Tasha's makeup bag now. <laughs> <laughs> This is the first, isn't it? This is the first that we've had a male grooming section on the, on the show. Get ourselves ready for singles club, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, well, what are you Boom. drinking? What am I drinking? Well, it's um, Belvoir Farm, blueberry oh, yeah. and blackcurrant cordial. Um, How is it? Oh, you're branching and, out. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm branching out. It's slightly cloyey, oversweet, but you get a bit of um, lime juice in there. And it's a very nice drink. 
It's it's a little bit more grown up than the stuff I was drinking the other week, the cherry aid stuff. So very pleased, very pleased indeed. Sounds lovely. Has the removal of a section of your brain uh, caused any difference to the way that you taste things? Nothing's happened to me that's made me feel slightly different. One of the registrars that came to see me, he said to me, every time people have any kind of brain surgery, it changes them in some way. I'm sure they didn't actually remove a bit of your brain, though, did they? They removed <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a tumour on your brain. Yes, they did. They didn't get a bit heavy-handed and just, like, hack out a bit of your frontal cortex or something. You do actually seem a bit nicer than before. Yeah. 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 I should go and get a bit of my brain removed as well. <laughs> we, we, we get... <laughs> It's going, to say, it's going to say more than that to make you nice. What have we been listening to in the last week or so? Nick, Nick, what have you been listening to? I have been on a 2003 nostalgia trip. Ooh. I was obviously listening to Blur, but looking at the other albums and realised that there was a few records from that year that were actually real favourites of mine. There was a few of them had individual songs that are some of my favourite getting up in the morning songs. So there was a little run of three songs which I've been playing over and over and over again. The first one was by Eels, who'd released an album that year called Shootin' but there was a song on that called Saturday Morning which is just one of the most joyous Saturday morning songs. Then there was a song by Super Furry Animals called Golden Retriever. I love Golden Retriever. Yeah, it's a great song. And then the third one was by an Australian band called The Cat Empire, which I have very fond memories of from a few years prior to that when they were a house band in the Spiegel tent in uh, the Edinburgh Fringe. We used to spend a lot of nights dancing away to them. They'd released an album that year, self-titled, and there was a song called The Wine Song on that, which is a great rousing, dancey song as well. So I've just been playing those over and over over again and bouncing around the house. It's been great. Chris, what have you been listening to? I've been listening to a bit of Divine Comedy. There was a documentary on telly. Last week, which is a really weird doc. It was a it was a BBC Northern Ireland thing, and it was Neil Hannon talking about all the albums he'd released, but very briefly. It was only on for about half an hour. He was in a sort of country house, filmed in a slightly surreal fashion, and then it just cut to about five of his tunes, kind of career highlight stuff. And yeah, it was just a really odd program. But he was just kind of looking back on everything he'd done and just making a brief comment about each album. I've got Casanova and I've got Fantasiecko, and then kind of was aware of the sort of singles he's had since then, but never really listened to the album. So I then went back and trawled through some of the sort of early noughties albums. Absent Friends I was listening to mostly. Very Scott Walker. Very Scott Walker at the best of times, but it was particularly channeling Scott Walker with that one. Did you listen to a short album about love? That's my favourite by them. I think it's great. I haven't yet. I recommend it very highly. It's a very good album. Okay. And then... On a more up-to-date level, I've been listening to a band called Dry Cleaning, who have got a single out at the moment called Scratch Card Lanyard, which has been played lots on the radio. It's got a very long, complex chorus, which just kind of builds and builds. It's sort of indie guitar, millennial, boredom, kind of. The singer is almost just kind of listing a stream of items. (laughs) It's quite, but it just kind of captures a certain dissatisfaction and disillusionment with the world it's quite funny they've got a couple of eps that were out last year and this is their first single having just signed to 4ad youtube keeps recommending them to me and i keep meaning to listen because i'm sure someone else recommended them to me as well Uh but i I haven't listened yet i had a good plow through the eps good got some good tunes there quite a catchy sound al what have you been listening to lords Ooh. I've listened to a lot of Teenage Fan Club, but we talked about them enough last time around. But I uh, made myself a little playlist of just Jerry Love songs because he's left the band and they don't play them live any longer. And Christ almighty, what a collection that is. Amazing. 
I should put it together and share it with the world just so they can hear the songs that Teenage Fan Club can't play live any longer and just what a good set that would be in its own. I've been listening to some King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Are you aware of them? Great name, yes. They are an Australian prog rock <laughs> band. But very modern prog rock. They don't sound like 70s yeah. prog rock. But uh, they're, they're yes, I, I'm aware of them. It never stops me laughing when I hear it. A Thank terrible you. name. <laughs> Terrible name. I find them a bit hit and miss, but I did listen to a song called O-N-E by them that I thought was very good indeed. I've been listening to more of the Arabi Bazaar, who had some new stuff out. A new single called Velma Dinkley that's very good, an entire new album of just acoustic guitar and voice stuff. Um, and I've been listening to more Bill Baird because I do have thousands of Bill Baird songs to get through. But You've got quite a back castle there. Yeah. One of his one of his projects called Sunset, um, their album called Earth Into Ether. Uh, and it's great. It's really, really good. And I'm a genuine fan. I said this before, but very much like the Flaming Lips, um, sort of psychedelic pop uh-huh. rock. Go and buy his stuff. He's good. Pitchfork have all these little short videos they've done about notable albums called Liner Notes, the series. And I've watched a few of those. And one was about the Sigurus album, Egetis Birion. And it was a bit shallow, but it didn't mention on it the most interesting thing about the album. And the best song on the album is Starofur. I don't know if you know it. Do you know this album, any of you? No. This song, Starofur, has this, like, I don't know, minute and a half long section at the end. Is this wonderful swelling strings. And it's the same backwards as it is forwards. And I, I remember reading this, like, way back, like, 20 years ago, because the album's about 20 years old, which makes me feel very old, uh, and thinking... That sounds quite interesting, but there's no way it's the same backwards. It probably sounds quite similar, but it is actually absolutely identical. It's amazing. I can't understand how they managed to do it quite so well because it is live strings and it doesn't sound like some of it's going backwards. It blew my mind. And it's a great song. I'll stick it on playlists and then everyone can play it backwards and have their mind blown. Easy there. Yeah, sorry, Will. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Will? What have you been listening to? Well, not really listening to too much. What was happening on hospital radio? <laughs> there was a new release by the Foo Fighters a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there? That I thought, um, I'll, I'll take a look at that. It's uh, Medicine at Midnight. The first one off the album, uh, No Son of Mine. It was a difficult one. I was listening to it and I was wondering what were they thinking. It was almost as if they were channeling Motorhead. Then another song on it, um, Waiting on a War, which is a more sort of gentle like Foo Fighters, which I'm more fond of. Um, a beautiful little song. I'm really pleased I had listen to it, enjoyed it. But apart from that, not a lot else, I'm afraid. You like the Foo Fighters, don't you? I, I do, but I've got this thing. It's because Dave Grohl's the nicest man in rock, right? That's it. It's because he's a lovely, lovely man and he's a Isn't great drummer. He is a great drummer. Um, I'm sure we've had this conversation um, before. <laughs> so is Taylor Hawkins. <laughs> Taylor Hawkins is a great drummer and as well, yeah. Pat Smear is a lovely man. In actual fact, I think I like the Foo Fighters more than I like their music. That's how I feel, Nick. That's absolutely it. That I think I like the idea of the Foo Fighters a little bit more than their actual music. Yeah. I'm like that, but ACDC. Dave Grohl... Doesn't play the drums in Foo Fighters. They? They've got a new. They've got a drummer, have they? They have. A, they've had a drummer from the start. He's Dave Grohl's been the guitar player in the Foo Fighters. Yeah, it's pretty much a solo album, isn't it? It's their first album. The first album, I think, it was yeah. And then Taylor Hawkins was the drummer for Alanis Morissette, and he was invited by Dave Grohl to come and join the Foo Fighters. So. Mm-hmm. Apparently they bonded because they toured together. I think Alanis Morissette had been supporting or doing something for Dave Grohl and. They'd met and Taylor Hawkins and he had bonded. And uh, so he was invited to be the drummer. I didn't know that. Pat Smear was the touring guitarist for Nirvana. 
I knew that, yeah. He played guitar with Nirvana on tour, so he was in the Foo Fighters as well on that one. I want Dave Grohl to come and ask me to play the drums for them. Do you play the drums, Will? Not at all. But he would for Dave Grohl. messy years 2003 i missed most of it on account of being gallivanting around latin america with my now wife but apparently there was a bit of a war and most of 2003 seems to have been dominated in one way or the other with the uh, invasion or liberation however you like to think of it of iraq and i do remember um being on a beach on an island in a lake in nicaragua drinking rum sitting around a bonfire listening to the sound of bullfrogs croaking and we had a radio and we listened to the the beginning of the invasion of Iraq because everything remember it was all covered pretty much live minute by minute on television and radio a very odd experience February more than two million people demonstrated against the looming Iraq war the largest demonstration in British history I was one of those 122 Labour MPs voted against the government um, in a debate over the Iraq war but despite a lack of UN endorsement Britain America Australia Poland formed a mighty coalition and went to war. 20th of March, the bombs began to rain down. By the 9th of April, Saddam Hussein's statue had been toppled in Baghdad and he and his government had fled into hiding. And then on the 1st of May, George W. Bush declared an end to the war. But sadly, that was just really the beginning of all the troubles that were to before Iraq and what was then a kind of an occupying coalition force. And then we had the subplot of the dodgy dossier, which the government had used to make its claim for or justify its claim to wage war against Iraq, the basis being that Saddam Hussein had access to weapons of mass destruction. And the BBC journalist, Andrew Gilligan, carried a report on the Today programme, alleging that the claim was dubious and was built on dodgy evidence. And eventually, a chap called David Kelly was named as the uh, source of Gilligan's story. Kelly was a weapons expert. Kelly was then dragged in front of the House of Commons Select Committee to answer questions over what information he'd given to Gilligan. And three days later, sadly, he was found dead in the woods near his home in Oxfordshire. All kinds of conspiracy theories, but looks like he committed suicide. There was a report into his death, cleared the government, but absolutely rang the BBC out to dry. Led to the resignation of Greg Dyke, the Director General, and Gavin Davis, the then chairman. And then many, many, many years later... Uh, we got the Chilcot inquiry into Iraq, which found that there was no evidence or justification or legitimate process for a war in Iraq. And it kind of spelt the end of the Labour Party as the party in power, really. We won another election two years later, but they were kind of tainted, or Blair certainly was tainted by it, and it became rather a millstone around his neck. Um, Torres obviously got in in 2010, and that was it. I haven't been out since. Anyway, enough about Iraq. In Scotland... Labour won Scottish Parliament elections in 2003. But again, that was the last time Labour would hold power. It's been the SNP through and through ever since then. Elsewhere, Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea Football Club for £150 million. Small potatoes, I suppose, now. But was he one of the first? I think he was one of the yeah, first. He was. Kind of Certainly mm. the first Russian oligarch to buy a British football club. Whether the first sort of big international money bag to come along and purchase a football club but certainly kind of set the pattern for what's happened for the best part of the next 20 years police used the taser for the first time in august of that year brookside after 21 years finally came to an end on channel four but on the flip side of that den watts dirty den reappeared in eastenders hey. after 
Apparently, oh, there you go, oblivious to this. 14 years after he'd supposed to have been killed off, he returned. Mick Jagger, also at the end of the year, got a knighthood. Finally, Sir Mick. The M6 Tormos we opened. Used that a few times since. And Concord had its last commercial flight. Mixed bag, but really dominated by that, that war in far-flung places. Musically, Morris Gibb died. Robert Palmer, I'd missed this as well, died of a massive heart attack. Only 54, I think. Um, and Dolly the Sheep, also another one made in Scotland, died. Finally, the world's first cloned sheep. Musically, this is that year when Pete Townsend was hauled up on suspicion of making indecent images of kids. He claimed he was researching his autobiography. He was cleared, but nonetheless, he was um, cautioned and stuck in the sex offenders register for the next five years. Pete Doherty of the Libertines again ended up in prison. He was jailed for stealing items from his bandmate Carl Baratt's flat, spent a month in prison. I think before we went away to Latin America, I wasn't aware of the Libertines. And when we got back, they were huge. And I did dearly love the Libertines. But sadly, Pete Doherty is one of those people that kind of, in my opinion, squandered his talent and just lost direction, really. And could have been greater than he ended up being. But sadly, I think heroin and various other things got in the way. Kate Moss. Elvis Costello and Diana Krall got married. And Ozzy Osbourne was almost killed after uh, running off the road in his all-terrain vehicle on his estate. Broke his collarbone, broke eight ribs and a vertebrae in his neck. But fortunately for everyone, he, 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 he got better. Brit Awards. Best British male solo artist was Robbie Williams. Best female was Miss Dynamite. I think you'll find that Miss Dynamite. Miss Dynamite. Yes, I think you're right, Nick. Indeed, I think you <laughs> you're are right. right. And uh, best British group was Coldplay. God help us all. The Mercury was won by Dizzy Rascal for Boy in the Corner. That was 2003. As I say, I was kind of overseas for most of it, so most of that passed me by. What were you all doing in 2003? Nick, where were you in 2003? I was in Edinburgh. That was the year my dad died, and uh, uh, he was ill for most of that year. Mm. He retired at the age of 60 and died six months later. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. Al, what about yourself? Where were you? Are you in London? I was point? living in London at the time, yeah. I'm trying to think. Now, it probably wasn't that year. I reckon it might have been the year before. My one encounter with Pete Doherty, end of the football season. I called up my mate Julian and asked if he wanted to go to the pub and watch the Scottish Cup final. And he said he had a band coming around to do some recording in his flat where he had a studio. Called me back a little while later and said, look, they haven't turned up when they're supposed to. Let's go to the pub. So we went and watched the football. And then after the game had finished, the band did turn up and it was Pete Doherty and what presumably would become Baby Shambles. Beyond saying hello, I don't think I spoke to Pete because he was at the bar arguing with Julian the whole time. But I just sat at the table with the rest of the band and we had a bit of a chat and drink together. And they seemed like perfectly nice men. I don't remember any of them in Individually. But then eventually Julian comes over and says, like, I gotta go. We've got to go and record. They were like seven hours late or something for their recording session. So they went round uh, and Julian had a bit of a temper when he'd been drinking. <laughs> and uh, he and Pete fell out and apparently he punched Pete and threw him physically out of his flat. I wish I'd been there to see that. Quite a tall man, Pete Doherty, but quite quite skinny. Quite skinny, yeah. So probably quite throwable. Heroin addict as well, yeah. probably not very strong. Julian was yeah. basis for Rialto, if you remember them. Had a bit of a hit in the 90s with Monday Morning 519, I think it was called. Song name rings a bell. Yeah, it's a good song. Can good song. It sounds like that. Yeah. Wolfman and Pete Doherty had that For Lovers song. That was a lovely, for lovers, yeah, that's a lovely yeah. tune. That was, uh, Julian wrote that, got nominated for an Ivor Novello Award for it and everything, but Franz Ferdinand Ooh. won. 
lovely man, Julian. Haven't seen him for a couple of years since his 50th birthday party in Liverpool. But um, I should really catch up. He's a good lad. Anyway, that's my Pete Doherty story. The day I said hello to Pete Doherty. <laughs> where, where were you, Will? Where was I? Um, I? I think I spent the year being very, very drunk. It was the first year I'd started teaching and... Um, Having fun, not taking any any notice of this war stuff, you know, just getting drunk, that kind of thing. I am thinking about hearing what you're talking about, you know, what happened in 2003, about the, the war and stuff like that, and I realise how dreadfully shallow I was in, in those days. You slept through it. I slept through it, I'm afraid. <laughs> now, I went on the march in London. I think it's the first time I'd ever been in a demonstration of any sort. I'm quite angry about the whole thing. So that was 2003. And now... Will's going to tell us about an album from that year. This week we're looking at an album by Blur, their seventh studio album called Think Tank. It was produced by Ben Hillier, Norman Cook and William Orbit. They stayed between London and Morocco whilst they were doing it. And they started around November 2001 and they finished in April 2003. It was a concept album with anti-war themes, which given what (laughs) we've just been talking about in 2003, it's not surprising that these themes came through. It was released on the 5th of May and it went straight in at number one. Graham Coxon, the guitarist, was a casualty, I'm afraid, from the recording. From alcoholism, he didn't play much of a role. Think Tank was a jam-based studio writing method, which gives the songs a kind of looseness that allows for experimentation within the song structure, which I particularly enjoyed. I think the production is crystal clear on this album. It's absolutely incredible. 13 tracks on the album. Did you find the hidden track as well? There's a 14th track. I didn't find that hidden 14th track so lucky everybody stop i'm gonna go and look for it no (laughs) seriously (laughs) save save yourself the trouble (laughs) (laughs) why this album why blur because their seventh studio album and i'm not sure i've listened to the six before then and am i a blur fan not particularly i think i mentioned it last time we spoke there was a freebie in the observer sunday newspaper which was just a cd with a couple of tracks and I just kind of fell in love with that. And so that was the first Blur album that I actually chased. I was very, very impressed with it. Chris, Nick, Al, what do you think about this album? I'm a bit of a Blur fan, to declare an interest. And if we're on first impressions, this first impression of Think Tank is it's one of the more difficult Blur albums to love. Quite a heavy album. Pop sensibilities of the likes of Modern Life is Rubbish and Part Life. But it takes the band in a very different direction, I suppose. I mean, by this point, they were going in a different... The the album that came after um, The Great Escape. Blur was a very kind of grungy departure. 13 that came after that. A great breakup album. Again, some beautiful songs on it. But Think Tank, obviously Coxon had gone. And um, it was a very mixed bag of influences. There was a lot of kind of Afrobeat stuff going on here. A lot of the songs, certainly on early listens to, just felt a little bit kind of rambling and shambolic. Most of the tunes are quite short, around about the three-minute mark, but a lot of them seem a lot longer. It feels a bit leaden in places, and it's quite a downbeat album as well. The delivery of the songs, quite bass-heavy. But having said that, it has got some great, great tracks on it. And it's still not my favourite Blur album by a long way, but having given it a good listen to again 18 years later, I like it a lot more now than I first did. 
when I first came across it. Mm. Nick, what do you think? I had never listened to this album before. I had been a Blur fan. I think I didn't really like 13. My favourite album would have been Modern Life is Rubbish. I did like Gorillaz. I've always really liked African music and I really like the Mali music album that Damon Albarn had done with some African musicians the year before this. So I bought that album and really liked it, but I never listened to this. I quite like this. You can hear a lot of the Mali music. The first and the third track on Mali music are their spoons and a song called Le Relax, which really reminded me of this album. So I quite liked it. It's not amazing. I quite like the jam thing and it there's there's stuff that is interesting and it's quite nice background music in it, but I'm not sure a lot of it goes anywhere. But I I kinda like the beats and actually what was interesting about Gwen Cox and leaving, I think it made space for other things. I mean, it's very much Damon's album. He's been doing the grills. You can hear gorillas. You can hear the Mali music thing. Lots of stuff going on. But I think I quite like the contributions of Alex James and Dave Rowntree on this. Alex James is a good bass player, I think. I agree, yeah. He's very good. He doesn't look like he's going to be, does he? It's quite surprising when you see that he's being good. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you, the assumption was always that he uh, added other qualities to the band, yeah. let's say. This album, I think there's there's a few tracks where the bass is just, you know, this is a really sort of bassy album. It's great. So I enjoyed it. Al, what do you think? I was a fan of Blur, really from Modern Life is Rubbish. Big fan of that album. And uh, I think Park Life is a masterpiece Great Escape, pretty poor though, and I didn't really pay much attention to them after that. I mean, obviously the, the singles came along, and so Beetle Bum, I think, is a particularly good song. But I never paid much attention to this album, and I think I said last time, I, I, I believe I have this album on CD, but I don't think I've ever listened to it, which shows my lack of interest really in them around the time. Possibly the reason I never listened to it is that my favourite thing about Blur is Graham Cox, and I think his guitar playing is fantastic. He is the sound of Blur. I believe that Damon Auburn has always been the main sort of creative force behind Blur. It's mostly him who writes the yeah. songs, but Coxon's guitar is what made them sound like Blur. And so the idea of an album without him just seemed a bit like, you know, I just wasn't sure. And I think it's a bit boring, to be honest. I very much disagree with you, Will, when it comes to the idea of jamming out songs. Uh, I'd like there to be structure, songwriting, I keep that. it. Yeah, of course, yeah. Keep it brief, keep it to the point. Don't put anything in there. It doesn't need to be there. I, I like my songs stripped down, which doesn't mean to say they need to be short, but everything has to justify its existence. No. And I think the songs on this are just meandering and boring, quite frankly, most of them. They're not bad, any one of them, heard on its own, with some exceptions, which I'm sure we'll get to if we're going to go through it song by song. Fine, but as a collection, it doesn't work for me. I think it's dull. Uh, and it's a pity, because I, I wanted to like it, because I do like Blur. But, you know, no Graham, no Blur, as far as I'm concerned. It is the least Blur-like of the mm. Blur albums, I think. And I think that's both because there isn't Coxon but also because it tries to go into those directions that Nick mentioned. It's almost the jumping off point of all the other things that Damon Albarn has gone on and done from Gorillaz, Good, the Bad and the Queen, the Mali, Africa Express stuff, even his solo albums. You can kind of trace bits of all of that to Think Tank, the good and bad bits of all of that. To me, it's more like a Damon Albarn album with, with yeah, I'd agree. David Roundtree and Alex James kind of coming in and contributing a bit of stuff to it rather than a Blur album. I think maybe I'm coming at it as not being a die-in-the-wool fan the risk of going into a studio and just saying okay what have you got and here we've got it that's high stakes but my opinion is they've managed it beautifully here i wonder is it that i wasn't a fan and so not wanting to have 
the blur. Well, yes, I think that the lack of a burden of expectations has, has got to help yeah. when, it, when it's yeah, a different yeah, direction, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. We had this conversation about Captain Beefheart, didn't we? We got quite heated. Oh, about yeah, quite. People expecting the magic band to be the magic band. Yeah, because I was really, really annoyed, wasn't I? Every track on this album has something in it which works. And even the most turgid, and yes, I agree how some of them are very, very boring. Even those ones have a little nugget of me, it's a bit of melody, or there's some quite odd percussion instruments, or some quite odd kind of sound effects used that are turned into percussion. But I think in terms of rounded great tracks, it's a small handful. Across yeah, the I, I don't really disagree with any of that, Chris, to be honest, but I just think it, it is the cumulative effect of it. It's it quite a, bit a tiring album. Yeah. This is a band who've gone on holiday and are enjoying themselves, <laughs> you know, and experimenting, having a great time and that's uh, great for them. <laughs> they were always on food records up until and after 13. So this is their first album for, was it Parlophone they went to afterwards? You'd think they'd have had less freedom going from a small indie like food to a fairly major like Parlophone. Big established band though. They're a big established band and they had, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you've got William Orbit and you've got Norman Cook and production mm. duty. And I think Orbit does one track and Cook does two. It is mainly... But presumably if you throw all those names together, the record company are going to go, well, it should be fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think they've probably got a bit of freedom from different record company just by note of their experience, seventh album in, kind of know how it works. They're trying to do something different and it doesn't always work. But I think when it does, it, it works quite well. Ambulance. If you're going to do this, if you're going to have an album, if you're going to make music, the first track, it needs to... Needs to pop. Yes. Does it? Does it, Al? Not for me, no. It's a dull, meandering mess, is how I've described it. I like the sound of the sax on it. it sounds brilliant. But the song is boring. It's not a good song. And I think it's a terrible choice for an opener, to be quite honest. I hadn't listened to this album before and put this on first and went, Oh, God. what is this I'm not going to like this and I didn't really like it the first time I listened but I've really warmed to this particular song since because it opens out and the bass emerges and it changes a couple of times and actually grows into something that I quite like the groove of there was lots of interesting noises in there like the bass line there's lots of interesting percussion start to hear all that real African influence and yeah I quite liked it by third listen to get the point it meanders but in a good way mm. Chris at first listen it's quite disorientating that initial drum beat is all over the place you don't quite know what's going on but I agree with Nick it builds across the timeline and by the end it's hit quite a sweet spot it's almost like a really long intro an intro to the whole album by the time you get to the end it's kicking along quite nicely I'm glad there's two of you that liked it for me it starts and and I get that thing about it's all over the place it felt like that it started to build and and it built quite beautifully and then it went into that segue of a sort of soul funk outro that <laughs> you know, shouldn't have been on that song in a way and just went with it. And I loved it. It's a bit odd, but I, I actually thought it wasn't a bad start to an album. Do you know, there's, there's so many songs on this record 
that kind of start with something and you're kind of not sure what's happening. And it's almost like they've got a whole bunch of people in a, in a, in a room or in a space or somebody starts playing something and then somebody else will join in. You know, they're not necessarily even playing the same song, but eventually everybody joins in. They finally all figured something out together. You're getting that jam thing, yeah. certainly out there, aren't you? It's, it's all kind of coming together and it does come good. And I think it feeds really nicely into the next track, which is I think one of the standout tracks of the album out of time. And you've been so busy lately that you haven't found the time to open up your mind and watch the world spinning gently out of time. They do a couple of things very well. One of them is that noisy, spiky, punky sound like Bank Holiday or Song 2. And the other is that kind of pared down, gentle, is it a ballad? Don't really know. But Out of Time is that second type of Blur song. And I just think it's, it's really, well, it's deceptively simple. It's very, very simple, very pared down, quite a beautiful tune. It's one of these songs I would never, ever get bored with. Al, what do you think about this? Would this have been a better starter for you? It wouldn't have been a good starter, but it is a good song. It's one of the few songs on the album that's got a strong upfront melody to it. It's one of my problems with it is the singing is quite weak in a lot of the songs. And, you know, there aren't strong melodies and this has a strong melody. It's very minimal and I don't have a problem with that. It's not maybe the way I'd have done it, but it still, it works for this song. My problem with the minimalism is it, it's fine in small doses, but it's over almost the entire album. Let's not be negative. This is one of the best songs in the album. I think it's very good. Yeah. Thumbs up for that one at least. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Love my brothers on Saturday night. Boy Slim does the clash. Uh, it was fun. Uh, quite like the squelchy sounds in it, the, the squelchy bass bit. Yeah, it was kind of fun, but uh, it wasn't a great track for me. I didn't particularly take to either the Norman Cook tracks, I must admit. It's funny you should say the clash. There are a couple of tracks later on in this album which I think are heavily reminiscent of the clash. This wasn't one of them that I thought kind of reminded me of them. I want to like this one, but I don't. Because they're trying to have another song too, which was one of their, I don't know if it's one of their greatest moments, but certainly one of their most popular hits. It's what broke them in the US. Yes, yeah. It's a big song for them. I wrote here a bit like song too. (laughs) Yeah, but it doesn't quite work in the same way. We're talking about the trap listing. It's sitting between Out of Time and the track that comes next. It just feels really out of place. Yeah, yeah, it does a bit. Actually, it reminded me a little bit of Girls and Boys. It's kind of brash, punky, spiky blur, isn't it? But it's not a great example of brash, punky, spiky blur. This song is awful. I think it's maybe the worst thing that Blur have ever recorded. It's it's shameful. <laughs> it's utterly shameful. I, I agree. Shameful. Go on. Well, I actually Why? Agree Why? With so you. I I agree. It's not great. But it's crazy frog. As as it's almost the worst thing crazy ever... beat. Yeah, it's yeah. dreadful. It's utterly dreadful. How much of that do you hold Norman Cook responsible for? 
probably about 70%. Fair bit of it, actually. I think that this mm. is yeah. just his fingerprints are all over it. I think it's a throwaway punky song that Damon Auburn's written, uh, which has been whipped into a just dreadful shape by Norman Cook. It's, it's embarrassing. It's just awful. It has no redeeming features about it whatsoever. I, I, I think it's dreadful. I, th- I, I think it's horrible that a band I genuinely like should have recorded something as bad as this. Imagine putting this in your album. Wow. Jesus Christ. It's awful. I don't like this song. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's coming across there, Al. I agree it's not the greatest song, but I wouldn't go as far as absolutely murdering it like you just had. The band obviously had a lot of faith in it because it was their lead single from yeah. there. You know, it wasn't one that was buried at the end. And I think Nick's right that it's an attempt to recapture Song 2 and the vibe there, but it's much worse than Song 2 in every way. Yeah, agreed. So anyway, sorry, let's move on. The track four, um, good song. something almost kind of automated and machine-like with the rhythm background of it which I quite like again it's that Damon Albarn does gentle ballad kind of thing I like it yeah I think these first four tracks and I will include Crazy Beat with this but these first four tracks are probably the strongest part of the album it falls away to my ears after this and then kind of comes together a little bit better at the end it's too similar to Out of Time and it's a bit of a mistake to put it so close in the album to Out of Time because it also it's not as good as Out of Time this felt like he was edging into Jack Johnson territory a nice melody nice harmonies it was a clever song is it a good song it didn't stand out it was just really well done I felt it was a bit meh to be honest I think it was nicey nicey but it wasn't as good as Out of Time the fact that he couldn't even be bothered to name it properly <laughs> says it all <laughs> In my only other band that I've ever been in, we had two songs. One was called Fast Song and one was called Slow Song. (laughs) And because they were quite fast and quite slow. There was some stuff I was reading on the internet. It's a bit of a nod to, I think it was Afrobeat music, where they do have a tendency to call songs good song, fast song, slow song, happy song. And that was his reason for having those titles. Well, that's good justification, forgivable in that case. Track five, On the Way to the Club. And I just want to be one of the heaviest songs and it's one of those that overall I find it quite difficult but it has got a little bit of joy somewhere towards three quarters of the way through there's a little kind of melodic riff which lifts it beyond the dirge that it otherwise is I find this is where the album starts to get a bit bogged down for my ears it's just all a bit repetitive at this point four of the five songs are very very similar to one another and none of them really have 
particularly strong hooks about them. Yeah, I, I, I don't like this one. I quite liked the guitar sound. I could hear that sort of African bluesy guitar sound in a lot of tracks on this, that kind of song hoy blues style thing, which I quite like the sound of. The only redeeming thing I think I can think of about this song was, you know, that and quite like the sound of the rumbling bass. I, I think there's a lot of richness here, but in trying to go beyond a normal song structure, they've gone a little bit too far on this one. I quite liked it as a track though, just a little bit too far. Pull it back, and did they pull it back in uh, track six, Brothers and Sisters? Brothers and Sisters Rebuild your My note for Brothers and Sisters is, Christ, it's just more of the same. I'll leave it at that. Oh yeah. dear. Well, I, I agree. Nick? My note is, the same African bluesy guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Which I quite like. What did I write here? It's a love child of Lalo Sifrin and Curtis Mayfield. Beautiful funk bass. It's a funny song because it's not a real song, but as a piece of music, it's almost like it could be in a Jackie Brown film or something like that. But is it an actual song? Probably not. But I did like it, and I say I did like the funk and bass. I'm more aware of Alex James's bass playing on this album than any other Blur albums. It's a lot more bass-driven than other Blur stuff. I got This feels like a more developed song that more time and more work has gone into and it is yeah. one of the best songs on the album, I think. Also, I really like the electric piano at the start, the kind of Deodato at the start of his Also Sprach Zarathustra. It's, that's a nice touch and, you know, that's how to win someone like me over is a bit of Deodato electric piano at the start of a tune. <laughs> um, this is more developed. This is, uh, yeah, this is a good song because it feels finished in a way that so much of the album doesn't. So much of the album feels like it was done in post-production and it's producer-led rather than band-led. This feels like it's probably the band who came up with it all. So even though it's very similar in style, you know, it, it works better for me. It's got quite a dirty sound to it. I mean, obviously dirty deliberate. <laughs> um, yeah. What did you think of that? It's a bit grittier sounding, perhaps. Maybe a lot of it is just a bit too clean and too pristine. And it sound it's just a better song because it just feels like they finished it first before they recorded it. I did like this song. I was starting to lose it a bit with the previous songs, but actually this brought me back in. I think the album kind of improves after this. Was this the first one where I could hear a melodian on it? I think Damon Almond was playing that a lot. Uh, around about this time he certainly was playing it on the the Mali music album do you know what this reminded me of it's King Creosote because he was doing some of this kind of experimental stuff at that point and perhaps some of the the musical influences were slightly different but you could hear that they were both playing around a lot with electronica with loops and beats and different kinds of interesting percussion loops and this actually really struck me as being quite similar Chris yeah 
I agree with all of that. The thing I don't like about this song is his vocal delivery in the the kind of verses. It's that quite flat. It's a bit whiny. It's just, <laughs> it just, I find it a bit miserable. But yeah, the song as a whole is good. And yes, I agree. It is one of those rare moments of structure and coherence in the album. We've got track eight. We've got a file on Guys, what do you think of this track? I wish it were longer. And also, the lyrics are awful. <laughs> but I really like the music. It sounds like some sort of 70s cop show. I had this whole scenario in my head. It's a James Bond movie set in Morocco. Oh, yeah. It's got to be a modern Bond. It's going to be Daniel Craig running. This is playing in the background. I, I did like the lyric, just where they were shouting, we've got a file on you. It's the think tank equivalent of the last song from Park Life. It's all right. It's a great it's tune. Okay. I think they could have done more with the lyrics and I would have liked to have heard it for three minutes rather than the, the minute that it lasts for. I'd written Punk by Way of Morocco and I think there's something about the instrumentation that is sort of African. It is in the middle of the album, but this feels a bit like a high point in that it's been a bit foggy and a bit dirgy up until this point and then we get this racket, this beautiful racket of We've Got a File on You which clears the air for the second half of the album, which becomes more interesting to my ears. I'm going to give it another listen to, because when I did listen to it, it irritated me slightly, but maybe I just wasn't in the right kind of mood for it. Revolution Blows Club is one of my favourites on the album. I think it's very good. Oh. I don't like the end section. I, thought, I think that's rubbish. But up until that point, I think it's a very good song. This is the most kind of clashy song or even big audio dynamite Nick, what did you think of this one? Uh, I've written Dave Rountree's enjoying himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, good. Yeah, and he was wigging out and go for it. I quite like the drum beat on it. There was more Melodian. I liked a lot of the sounds on this. I didn't think it was as striking a song as the, as the previous one, actually. Like, I just like the whole idea of running around after somebody shouting, we've got a file on you. <laughs> <laughs> then it's just me out of time. Track 10, Sweet Song. What do you think of Sweet Song? Is it sweet? Uh, do you know, do you know what, it, what it's like? The chord progression and the verses is the same as End of a Century, their single from Part Life, but it's not as good as that and it suffers by comparison. That's a great tune. End of a Century is a great song. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Sweet Song isn't a great song. It's all right. I guess it's more of the same. It's just it's a bit meandering, a bit meh, meh, meh. Yeah. I wrote nice but dull. <laughs> it is dull, I agree. It's just a bit... Yeah. What I wrote was, it's almost too beautiful to just be a song. Oh. Would you like it to be a bird? 
Yes. <laughs> Third verse, there was a beautiful little nod to George and John that, again, was just quite beautiful. I love this song. I could listen to it forever. This is one of the tracks that came on the Observer CD, and it's a demo version of Sweet Song, which is very different, a lot spikier, and a really good version. Um, and then I listened to this sweet song on the album. I hated this version, but now I like this version better. Track 11, Jets. What do you think, guys? Chris, what do you think? I lost interest by this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> it did. By the time we get to Jets, I was just quite bored. It's just a bit plodding. Plodding and very, very long. I've written bonkers, goes nowhere, but I like the sax solo and the guiro. I like the drums, I like the percussion on this, which was its redeeming feature, I think. Later on, when the sax solo comes in, I go, what? This reminds me a lot of... Um, Kids with Guns, which is on the second Gorillas album. Kids with Guns is a far better, more interesting track with this, mm. but the kind of underlying rhythm and bass is very, very similar. I think the problem with Jets, and it's a criticism I think can be levelled at quite a lot of the album, is it sounds like, maybe a demo is not the right word, but it sounds like some ideas that you put down yep. to either flesh out later or to abandon and to maybe then make a song out of some of this, except they just kept it all and put it together and made a song out of it, and without fleshing out the ideas. And it's boring. It's really boring. I think it's one of the weakest things on the album. There's that bit when they start putting the big reverb on the bass, and to me, it, it feels like when you start using the studio's effects in lieu of actual music, that you really should be thinking a bit harder about whether this is a good song and whether you know whether you actually go need to write something else it's just not good and and i've got to disagree with you about the sax solo nick it's dreadful <laughs> i actually quite enjoyed listening to that one again it may have been just the drugs i'm on um track 12 gene by gene This was another Clash-inspired thing that actually I was a bit meh about. I didn't particularly like this either. Better than the first normal Cook one, but uh, it's still not really doing it for me, I have to say. No, nor me on this one. Um, Chris, what do you think? The thing I like most about this track is it's got that weird sort of sound effect, which to me just sounds like either a kind of poorly oiled bicycle or a squeaking sign outside the front of a pub. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's there all the way through. And then it's the only thing that remains for the last kind of 15 seconds of the track. And for that reason alone, I love it. And what are they great. called? Oh. It's a Brazilian um, instrument, isn't it? It's just a thing. I wasn't You've sure got if a piece it was an instrument or a kind of it? sort of found sound that they just recorded ah. kind of in the field. That's one of my problems with this song and with the album as a whole is this song particularly feels like it's just built out of loops. It's built out of 
just samples of stuff and it's all sort of compartmentalized into its different bits and it doesn't feel organic it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a band you know it feels like the producer's work not the band's work and i think a lot of the album is that way although i don't i don't mind this i mean i was being rather scathing about norman cook earlier but i think this song's okay it's a lot better than the other norman cook song on the album <laughs> but it's not it's not a standout it feels in about the right place on the album it feels like things are drawing to a close with this track yeah. i quite like it for that I got nothing to rely on Broken every bone If I interesting song title if nothing else Nick what? I really like this uh, this is the only one with Graham Coxon on it mm-hmm. yeah I liked it I liked this sort of lovely descending guitar line that probably reminds everybody what they're missing <laughs> I love the piano line in this as well I think it's really beautiful then I, I stuck around and listened to the, the hidden track as well what's it called Me White Noise which was kind of bonkers and actually seemed like a fitting end to the Blur story at that point, and I've written down here, it's the park life after party. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. like it. I'll attract to redeem the album for you. Oh, I think Battery on Your Leg is a really good song, yeah. I don't know, again, how much of that is down to Cox and being on it, but it sounds like it's a band, whereas I just say I think the rest of the album pretty much sounds very producer-led. This sounds like the band. It's really good. I don't agree about me, White Noise, being any good. I think it's shockingly bad but at least it's a hidden track and they didn't release it as a single Blur have got a knack for um, I know this isn't quite the last tune and This Is A Low isn't quite the last tune on Part Life but they've got a knack of just holding something back something quite quite stunning and this is up there with This Is A Low Do you know the story about the lyrics in This Is A Low that Damon was having writer's block couldn't come up with anything for it and uh, Alex bought him a handkerchief with the shipping forecast areas on it and that was the inspiration that uh, brought us This <laughs> Is Low which is maybe the best song they've recorded I don't know certainly in the argument it's, yeah, it's a fabulous song isn't it? yeah quite beautiful Me White Noise I always forget it's on the album and then I come across <laughs> it with a bit of a shock it is what it says isn't it there's a reason why it's the hidden track I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what was your favourite song? I think my favourite song actually is Ambulance. I did like Batter in Your Leg. I liked Out of Time, but I think Ambulance, for what it became, is probably my favourite. Okay, Chris, favourite song? I am going with Out of Time. It does the job. What did you think, Will? Definitely um, sweet song for me. Al, what do you think? Oh, it's battery in your leg for me. It's the most blur song because it does have Graham Cox on it, but it is the least think tank song on Think Tank. So in a way, it's disappointing, and and for me, it's a bit of a it's the biggest criticism really you can make of the album is that you know the the most different song is the one that stands out as being the best. But it is a fantastic song as well. What do you think is the most think tank track on Think Tank? Caravan. Um, I think it's either Caravan or Ambulance. Ambulance, I think, yeah. Before we move on from Think Tank, I think the most important question hasn't been asked, and that is how many ticks did it get from Will in yes. total? Aha. I gave it four using Will's system. Oh, my goodness. Which is not 
particularly generous, but it's also not awful. It managed to get 22 ticks, this album. Oh, I'm wow. I know. That's a lot. Um, High praise. It is. Uh, maybe I just felt really good. I say, it may be the drugs I'm on. I'd like some of Will's drugs. It might improve the whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> Two thousand three, lads. Probably a great year for music, but another one where I don't think that I was buying much that was going on. Um, it's been a bit of a struggle for me to find a favourite album. But uh, let's start with Nick because you said you were enthusiastic about it. What's your album of the year? So I was enthusiastic. There was lots of good things actually. Um, the Super Furry Animals had a good album that year. Phantom Power, yeah. Phantom Power. I liked the Eels album. There was. Two albums that I was trying to make the choice between. One was, I'd, I'd mentioned the Cat Empire, who'd been the house band in the Spiegel Tent in, in Edinburgh, one of the fringes. Their album that year was just, uh, it's one of my favourites of all time. But the one that absolutely was my favourite and is one that I have given away to other people at lots of occasions since was the King Creosote album, Kenny and Beth's Musical Adventures. Having listened to this album tonight, the, the Think Tank album, some of the quieter and more experimental tracks slightly reminded me of the Cream Grease album, mm-hmm. which is better. It's basically remove the African bit and instead you've got sea shanties. It's just a really, really beautiful record. His voice on it is extraordinary. There's folk, there's accordion, but there's also this kind of strange electronic thing going on as well. And it's just a beautiful record. So that was my favourite album of the year. Nice choice. And what about number one single? I've got a terrible, guilty secret. I really liked Will Young Leave Right Now, but actually I couldn't see beyond Beyonce Crazy in Love, that's just... I knew um, you would go for Beyonce. Stupendous, stomping record. That is a great soul record. That's absolutely incredible. I don't like it very much. I, I think that brass bit is really fantastic that's lifted from another song, but that's what's good about it, is that brass bit. It's a bit of a mess apart from that, I think. I'm with Nick on that one. It's my... It's, I know you haven't asked me, but that's my number one single choice. Well, I'll ask well. you now. What's it your was, um, What's your number one single? Chris of the year. Well, thanks for asking. Daniel Beddingfield, I wasn't expecting that. Crazy Love by Beyonce. We got back from travelling and I think one of the first things we did was went to Glasgow and went to the 13th note and met up with some old pals and this tune came on and I'd never heard it before and I was blown away by it. It's just a great tune to dance to. And yes, the best bit is the stolen or borrowed or plundered guitar riff, but it doesn't matter. It's just, it's perfectly placed and it works really well with her voice and it's just, just a good power pop song. Chris, what was your favourite album? 2003. This is quite challenging, this one, because again, we kind of hadn't really been in a music <laughs> of course. listening to place, listening to lots of stuff like Juanes and stuff and Peruvian panpipers and such. So I've gone for Someday by Granddaddy simply because uh, I do. Oh, it's not yes. as great as album. I much prefer the software slump, to be honest. But still, Someday is a very good album. We were traveling at a time before MP3 players. We had a Walkman and three cassettes, which was lasting us for, for a whole nine months of traveling. So music was quite kind of precious, not a premium. And I remember going to an internet cafe because, again, that's the only way you could communicate back in 2003. If you wanted the internet, you had to go to an internet cafe after sending the, the family emails back home. I then had a bit of a troll and came across Someday by Grando, which had just been released and sat for 45 minutes in the internet cafe listening to the album. And it was just one of those lovely moments. I can't remember which country we were in. It was like a hug, a nice uh, familiar hug in an unfamiliar 
place. So yeah, stop with Aww. me for that reason. So I'm going to go for that. Will, what was your album of 2003? I think I'm going to have to keep with Think Tank, to be honest with you. Okay, Think Tank's your yeah. album. What's the single? Where is the love? Black Eyed Peas. Black Eyed I Peas. I really like it. My word. I really like that song. Um, it's, it's just a lovely, gentle, beautiful song. like it. It's, it's positive. I, it's hearts in the right place. I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't know how much of that not being a fan is because it's the Black Eyed Peas and what they've done since Sully's, that, which is quite a nice song. They are an embarrassment, Black Eyed Peas, I think, um, <laughs> to Western culture as a whole, I think. What yeah. were your favourites, Al? We talked before about how I, I just seem to have had a, a years-long period of just never really listening to anything that came out. And I guess I must have been listening to stuff that I already knew. So it came down to a couple of albums, neither of which I've listened to for a very long time. So it felt a bit odd to be picking one of them, but I didn't have anything else. And one of those was Super Furry Animals Phantom Power. The one I'm going to go for is The Decline of British Sea Power by British Sea Power, who I saw... Ah. Probably the year before, supporting the Flaming Lips at the Kentish Town Forum in London. I was very much endeared to them by them opening their gig by playing on big screen at the back of the stage. Something like the first 15 minutes of the David Niven film, A Matter of Life and Death, you know, the Pearl and Pressburger. Wonderful film. And yeah, just and I don't quite understand why they made this part of their performance. But yeah, they then came on and played for a while and I thought they were pretty good, bought the album. And it's brilliant. It's a massive clattering racket of an album, uh, quite reminiscent of early Pixies. It's, it's just a great big guitar noise. I haven't listened to it for a long time. I'm going to dig it out and give it a listen. My single of the year, I'm going to go for the Michael Andrews and Gary Jules' cover of Mad World, which Mad World, yeah. isn't a patch on the original, but they still do good things with it. It's a good cover of a great song. From the Donnie Darko soundtrack, wasn't it? From the Donnie Darko soundtrack. It's a great film, yeah. Big fan of it. Last thing to do is to find out what Last we're thing. covering next time. And that is down to Nick. 1973 is the year. Actually, a pretty good year. There's some good albums. I resisted the urge to choose something that I really liked and wanted to share, which... Kicking uh, Park. Well, to- actually, Tom Waits' first album, Closing Time, and there was a whole bunch of soul funk records around about that time there was a couple of Al Green albums I was tempted to choose Bill Withers live at Carnegie Hall but instead I went for something by a band that I have resisted I don't really know why but I'm going to figure it out by the time we do the podcast but I thought you might be into Roxy Music for your pleasure is the album what are the big tracks off that album don't know we're going to find out do you know I have always resisted Roxy Music I'm not entirely sure why I think I don't like Brian Ferry I'm not really sure why and I just thought I should probably find out it's got Do the Strand on it which is the only one I've heard of I'm very fond of their guitarist and I keep forgetting his name Phil Manzanera yeah I I think he's a beautiful guitarist yeah I'm excited about this one thank you Nick yeah a band that I've never properly engaged with so yeah looking forward to it same here well I guess this is it for this evening this has been great to do this tonight with you guys it, uh, you know, a little bit of a tickle in my throat there. It's good to yeah. have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Lovely to see you. Looking forward to next week. Good night. Cheers. Night. Bye bye.